Good morning. Happy Sabbath. We are thrilled that you have continued to hang in there with us through our study on the book of Hebrews. And as every wonderful journey does, this one is closely coming to an end. Today we're going to look at this idea of brotherly and sisterly love. But before we do that, as we do every Sabbath, can I invite you to bow your heads with me and pray. Father, we want to thank you so much for giving us Jesus, because Jesus is truly our sibling. And through him and through his mission, through his work, through his act of salvation, you have brought all nations, all people together. And so today, Lord, we would pray that you guide us beyond the divisions, those petty differences that sometimes mean so much so that we may once again see Jesus and see him clearly. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. So I can picture the people, the people gathered as a congregation begins to read the letter to the Hebrews. And as they're gathering, they're probably wondering what is going on. What is this new movement that has invaded their city? This sect called Christians, followers of the way. At first, the people living around these flourishing Christian communities have no nerves. After all, the worship service looks much like any trade guild association of the ancient Greco-Roman world. As we've talked about before, the Greeks and the Romans would gather and huddle together in guilds and trades, and they would do so in order to network and to build relationships. They would do so believing that the one thing that held primacy above any other thing was the idea of equality and equity. And here's where a tinge of discomfort would have begun to be felt in the hearts of these people living in these cities that are hosting these Christian communities. It was as they looked out their windows and saw, saw slaves and women as they saw people from different social classes, different ethnic backgrounds, and as they saw them coming together, coming together in complete and total unity. It is this that drove the sense of discomfort and dread in the Greek and Roman world as it pertained Christian communities. And it is this that the author of the epistle to the Hebrews begins to point at as he starts to conclude his missive. As we have talked about the whole quarter, there is a formula that one can follow, a method to his or her madness, if you will. He begins with exploration and exposition. He begins by telling us who Jesus is and what the desires of a life that is oriented towards the gospel ought to look like, and then he moves to exhortation. It's almost as if the author is saying that everything we believe in means nothing unless it is accompanied by real palpable and concrete acts. But the world, the world that these Christian communities are inhabiting is a world that has a narrative. And it is a narrative that is built. It is built on a status quo. It is built on certain presuppositions. It is built on these assumptions, assumptions that there is a hierarchy, a level to the value of each individual that conforms the society. So the first truth I want to leave you today, as we try to translate the epistle to the Hebrews to our lives living in 2022 in a post-COVID and post-pandemic world, is this. Once you begin to realign and once you begin to reconstruct narratives, you undoubtedly will have to reconstruct and rebuild assumptions. That is to say that as we begin to challenge the stories that we tell ourselves, or better yet, the stories that society tells about ourselves, we'll have to begin to examine our assumptions. These ideas that 
we need divisions, we need borders in order to keep us separate, separate and safe, that we need to huddle together in our silos in order to feel comfortable, that the best way to carry out mission is to align with people that have our same ideology. Those assumptions might need to be re-examined as we begin to reconstitute a narrative. And so as we do every week, I invite you to open your Bible as we consider how the author of the epistle to the Hebrews began to question these narratives and these assumptions that the communities living around him or her made. If you have a Bible, open it with me to the epistle to the Hebrews, the 13th verse. And what we're going to do today is we're going to just read it through. We're going to be living and exploring verses 1 through 9. It says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. And those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life as an as, and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. I want to leave you there because there are several points that I want to punctuate as we begin to ask the question of what narratives need to be restored and what assumptions need to be challenged. The first one has to do with the concept of love. Now, the word that the author uses in chapter 13, verse 1, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters, is this word that has to do with uh, the city of brotherly love. It's a compound word, philos, which means love in Greek, and adelphos, which means brother. And so if you put those together, you get Philadelphia. So he's asking this question. He's asking a question of brotherly love of experiencing and showing mutuality to each other. Now, for us, perhaps the idea isn't as revolutionary as it was once was. But I want you to consider this point. I want you to think about what it would meant in a stratified society to ask the question of brotherly love, to ask the question of one that assumes that brotherly love shares in all its value, its experiences, and its even property. So. Everything in the church was meant to be shared, both the things that we experienced, the activities that we did, and the things that we possessed. And this invitation cuts at the core of the assumption that the Greeks and the Romans meant. It was an assumption based on separateness. And here the author of the epistle says, remember to continue this experience of sharing in each other's life. Because the reality is that the Christian experience can only occur when it is life lived together. So that's assumption number one. But this idea of Philadelphia, this idea of brotherly love, is followed by another notion. The truth of the matter is that it is really easy to love those whom I am, whom I am in contact with. It's much more challenging to love the stranger. And so the author of the epistle moves on from the concept of Philadelphia to the concept of philoxenia. This means love for the foreigner. And he recalls this passage in the book of Genesis as Abraham and Sarah play hosts to divine messengers. And he says, remember to show hospitality for strangers. For by having hospitality towards strangers, some have indeed shown hospitality to angels. 
Now, that might again seem complex in the world we live today, but what the author is actually saying in a very practical way is what would happen if you began to treat strangers as you would ambassadors of the king, as you would angels? Well, this necessitates this radical shift in my life as I am being asked to consider the people that are around me, people with whom I have nothing in common with as messengers of God. How then do I approach the person who disagrees with me, that person who knocks on my door requesting some time, or even the person who stops me as I move through the busy intersection asking for money, but perhaps and just perhaps asking for an ear to hear his or her story. But he doesn't end there. He moves on saying, continue remembering those in prison. And this idea in the original language is actually quite nuanced because what the language actually points to is to empathize with those who are living in prison. And a lot of the times we want to forget the people that have made mistakes, the people whose decisions have led them to a space in life that is uncomfortable. How many people in my life or in your life have you discounted? Have you said, I need to move away from, we need to create some separation. Your particular position and your plight in life is a direct result of your choices. To a nation that has more people in prison than any other industrialized country, the book of Hebrews says, what if you would pursue this idea of justice married with love? What if you would pursue the idea of restoration and redemption with a little bit of empathy. And so he moves on. He moves on talking about marriage. And he talks about marriage and about finances. And again, it's almost as if he realizes that more and more the issue begins to hit home. In a culture that has devalued marriage, in a culture for whom monogamy is passe, in a culture for whom commitment is a term that is thrown around without much thought, the author of Hebrews begins to push at this idea. And not only commitment, but also also the call to resistance, the call for Christian communities to serve as the highest example of a people who resist the temptation towards greed. You see, marriage and finances have more in common than we would think. Because in both the way we comport ourselves with our morality and our finances, the ultimate goal has to do with the way we see the other person. For Hebrews, the issue of sexual immorality it's not just an issue of the act itself, it, it's an issue of exploitation. It is the issue of looking at the other person as an object there to fulfill my needs, to provide pleasure for me. And so what the author is saying is be careful that you use other people as objects. And you don't need to be married in order to do that. How often do we use the people around us in order to benefit us? How often do we look at them as mere tools that ought to be exploited? The same can be said about our finances. How often do we utilize and exploit others? How often do we amass more than we can spend? How often is greed a part of how we allocate our resources? And in both those cases, the invitation is to look at each other, not as things, that can grant us a means to an end, but as people, as messengers, as ambassadors of the king. And thus we can say the Lord is our confidence. By the way, my favorite part is, that, is the pericope that begins in verse 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. You know, I can still remember when pastors and preachers were trustworthy members of the community, people who lived and knew the stories of the congregations that they were called to pastor and to shepherd. Now, now in a society that celebrates 
and that is obsessed with celebrity in a society that moves preachers and puts them on a pedestal only to see them fall, pray to their mistakes and their temptations, the book of Hebrews invites us again to consider this invitation to ministry as an invitation to shepherding, to live life together. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. And how does he conclude this section? He says, it is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. Throughout this week, throughout our life, throughout our experiences, the truth of the matter is that we will hear many a narrative that needs challenging. We'll hear many assumptions that need to be revised. Whether it's the assumption that people are there to provide you pleasure or the assumption that your finances are there to provide you with a certain value or the assumptions that you are better than those who have made decisions that have landed them in a, in a place that is uncomfortable or even the assumption that I have nothing in common with people that think differently from me. All these assumptions need to be challenged at the foot of the cross. They need to be challenged as we pursue a life that is centered upon grace. So the first thing that we need to realize, and the first truth that I shared with you was that once you challenge the narratives that you, ch that you tell yourself, you will have to grapple with challenging some assumptions. Here's the second truth that I want to leave you with, and that is this. How do you prepare for the unknown? I mean, the community that Paul is writing to, the community that the author of Hebrews is, has in his heart, is a community that is facing the unknown, the prospect of persecution, the prospect of having to be thrown into the arena. So how do they prepare for the unknown? How do you prepare for the unknown in a world that might not have persecution, but that is full of war and financial uncertainty? How do we prepare for the unknown? Well, the author of Hebrews will tell us that the only way to prepare for the unknown is by focusing on the quality of your relationships. And so today, whether it's uncertainty at the gas pump or uncertainty with the global economy, whether it's fear of what is happening in your backyard or stress over a war half a world away, the invitation is to start challenging the assumptions that we make by focusing on the wealth and the richness of our relationships. Maybe, and just maybe, if we start pouring into one another, we might be people that show hospitality to angels. Friends, today I am blessed because I have one of my co-workers, one of my fellow pastors on staff, a pastor that cares deeply about connections and communities. We have Pastor Joel here with us. Joel, you and I were left behind from a team that is now in the Holy Land. How are you dealing with that experience of being left behind? I'm uh, experiencing deep depression. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, what about you? I am I am happy. I'm happy. I'll tell you why. I'm happy because See, you got to make me look bad all the time. I, I'm I depressed. Know. You're I happy. Know. You're I taking know. like the positive twist of this. <laughs> I'm like angry and no. Well, I'll tell why you why you I'm happy? happy because I'm not jet lagged. So you uh. know that the first couple of days um, yeah. that you're there, you're like a zombie. <laughs> so after that, it's great. But I know that at this point, some of our team members are fe feeling pretty jet lagged. And so I'm, I'm happy because of that. Oh, you're happy that they're miserable. I in am, other words, I so am. you're... So I'm looking You're bad not too. as good as as I thought. No, no I'm <laughs> okay. I'm I'm bad. You're depressed and I'm just <laughs> I'm just evil apparently. Um so before we get into any more trouble, oh boy. Uh, the we're talking here about this beautiful passage that talks about the the idea of brotherly and sisterly love. Yeah, and it's a beautiful it's a beautiful passage. 
Well, doesn't it happen, though, that as you stand at uh, the Uconnect uh, Center and make our people every Sabbath feel welcome, I hear this a lot. I hear, welcome to church, brother or sister. Do we really understand what that means? Or is or is this term of, hey, you're my brother, you're my sister, something that we just turn, throw out as as people that come to church? I think it's often a term that we just throw out because I have heard that, but I haven't necessarily seen actions follow mm. that up. And so oftentimes I think we use terms that we hear and we think we understand, but what good is it mm. if it's just a term and it's it's knowledge, but it doesn't come out in in our actions? And so even at church, Miguel... You would think it would be like the happiest place on earth, the nicest people that you ever interact with. And sometimes it can be a place that we actually find the most hurt mm. um, with things that are, are said to us, with the way that people treat us. And, you know, we think... Christians yeah like they know what's they know what's in this word haven't they read this passage <laughs> in Hebrews 13 yeah. like why why aren't they living this out so I definitely think that sometimes it's just words mm. it doesn't quite connect to our our hearts and transform us in the way we act and treat each other that's that's profound, um, and I think it's profound because it's it's what I've experienced as well. And you yeah. see, I mean, we are able to kind of stand in the gap for so many people, and so in our work, we hear so many just really tragic and painful stories of people. And a lot of the time, that hurt and that harm happens in church. And so I, this is why I love Hebrews, because the author says he gives us these platitudes, right? If you read the, the epistle, it's all about these really high ideas of who mm -hmm. Jesus is as our high priest and how Jesus has transformed the way we ought to look at ourselves. But he says all of these ideas, all of that head knowledge means nothing if you're not able to look at the person across from the table and say, Indeed, you are my brother or you yeah. are my sister. Yeah. How do we shepherd people through that? Um, how do we? Because I sometimes really get frustrated when I hear again. You? Frustrated? I do. I get so no. frustrated. I've never seen it. Well, you, you'll see it today. <laughs> I get right so now. frustrated because yeah. it's like people will come to us and say, this is what happened. Mm -hmm. And again, you're, you're saying, this is happening at church. Right. How do you, um, who, who yeah. get the, the chance to walk through a, a huge group of volunteers and to try mm -hmm. to inspire them to participate and to open themselves up to mission and work and ministry within our church, how do you guide them through that process of healing <laughs> and wholeness? Oh, healing and wholeness, man. It is definitely a journey, and every personality deals with these situations differently. In fact, so many people leave mm. the church. I've heard so many stories. Um, I remember one time there was a couple going through a divorce, and they were both members of, of this church. And because of the way that people treated them or the things that they felt that they had the right to share mm. with them, neither one of them attend this church. And, you know, we've often said that church should be like a hospital, right? Mm -hmm. Where the broken and the hurting come and where they can actually find healing. And so, you know, when I interact with individuals and you brought up volunteers um, and how do you shepherd them through this process, well, it is, it is custom, I think, customized for every person mm. based on what their situation is. But the running thread through it is love and a lot of listening. A lot of people know they don't want to hear it again, but they, they want to be heard. And I think that 
it says here, um, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse 7, talking about leaders. Oh, it says, consider the outcome of their way of life. Mm -hmm. And so for me, when, when I was listening to you read that and thinking about that, leaders, ourselves as pastors here at this church, also our elders, our deacons, leaders in different ministries, we have a huge responsibility to, this is saying, um, the outcome of their way of life. It's an, it's an action. Mm. And so a lot of way, um, a lot of the, the way that we can minister and help is by the way we live wow. is to show those, those members and those volunteers to show them how we treat people, mm. how we treat them is even going to hit home more than how we're treat how I treat you is going to speak more to you than you watching me oh, wow. and how I treat someone else. Although that is a good example. It's really what it comes down mm -hmm. between you and, and me. And that's what is going to last in someone's memory. It's not what you say. They're not going to remember all of the words and all of the amazing things. I know we're both <laughs> so amazing with the things we, we have to we say. We really are. We really are. We just, people come from all over the world. <laughs> to sit at our feet with just amazing things. It's, it's how we make them feel. It's yeah. when they feel cared for. It's when they feel that they're being heard. It's, it's how they feel care, cared for. And that, that is what is really important. So, um, yeah, this passage is really speaking to me today. I'm so, so happy to hear that. And I yeah. think there's something really that I, I, I want to emphasize that you said, I thought it was just so powerful. A lot of times when we, when we think about leadership, and I know you have a passion for leadership and a passion for leadership in, in the biblical sense, which is this kind of idea of servant leadership where you mm -hmm. say, hey, my job is to equip you and to train you so that you can find whatever purpose God has for your life. And what, I, what really struck me as you, as you were speaking was this idea that in order to fulfill that, pur that purpose, we need to listen. And a lot of times we think that the way in which we show leadership and the way in which we show our Christian character has to do with the way we speak or the way we comport ourselves or the way we carry ourselves. And what really struck me is that it seems like what you're trying to say and what is actually present in this passage is that it all starts with listening and we can all listen. We might not all uh, be able to sing or play an instrument or <coughs> preach or teach, but we can all listen. And that yes. is the most transformational mm -hmm. part. That's the most transformational part because that is how people feel like you really, really intentionally care right. about me as a sibling. Yeah. And the unfortunate thing is we all can. It's just that we all don't do Oof. it. You know? So it's it's one of these these things that God has given us that you can't say, oh, I can't do that. I don't have the ability. Like, you you can. You can even listen if you are are deaf. You can listen through mm -hmm. sign language. I mean, there's there's ways to do it, but we we don't all do it, you know, mm. and that is, that's unfortunate. Really and that's why we have yeah. so much brokenness around mm. us when we're talking about relationships. And yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I just, <clears throat> I hear that story so often and my heart yeah. just breaks because I, without being privy to all the details about this couple that, that you were mentioning, um, I I, can't, I have a pretty good idea of what happened based on what I've seen happen with, <laughs> In situation, other, yeah. right, with situations like yeah. this, which is something uncomfortable happens and you are really quick or our default position is to assign blame. Mm -hmm. Our default position is to take yep. sides. Yep. Our default position is to try and mediate the conflict mm -hmm. or to try to solve the problem when what is really needed is simply yeah. to listen, listen to yeah. the hurt, listen to the frustration, listen to the pain, and then 
hold that space of sacred listening. I, I love what uh, this writer, Mary Oliver, says about listening. She talks about listening um, as the sacred task because the most valuable thing that people have to tell us are their stories. And so we need to wow. hold those stories sacredly, sacredly. Here's my pen. Can you write that down? Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll write it down for you. You with Bible. this amazing memory that like I read that on page 55 <laughs> and you just like quote things. That's that's your gift. Yeah, but see. One of your many, of course, see, not your only gift. I quote things. <laughs> But you're actually bringing it into the practical <laughs> level. So it doesn't matter if I can quote Mary Oliver, if I'm actually not putting that into practice. And I think that's what you're inviting us to, that we yeah. so often don't do. We get, we get captivated by the menagerie of it all and by yeah. the words and by the, the, the knowledge. <laughs> and Christianity isn't that difficult. It's actually really simple. It has Should to be. do with going out and showing people hey, I really care about you and I want to invest in you. Yeah. You know, I think that, you know, we were talking about this divorce couple, but you see this so often in church too. And I don't just want to pick on the church, but I think the reason why I'm talking about it more here is because you think that's the safe mm -hmm. place. And so that's why so much hurt comes from within the church. But that happens with, you know, with leadership. There's a falling out, there's a disagreement, and then people take sides, and you have this division in the church. You have division in families with difference of opinions and, and lifestyle issues, and it just seems like more and more there is just a great divide. Mm. And I think that is one of Satan's, like, he's brilliant, really, in the way that he can just size things up and and hit people where it's it's mm -hmm. gonna hurt and he knows our weaknesses and i i fall so short so many times when i know better and i let self get in the way mm. of what really needs to happen whether it's an insecurity whether i just don't feel good enough maybe i see a situation that's happening. And I feel like, who am I? <laughs> mm -hmm. Who am I to address this or to talk about it? Or, you know, or maybe, you know, I work a lot with volunteers. We all do here at this church. Um, but with volunteers, you know, as you're trying to train them and, and equip them for the job or the role that they're going to do, sometimes I'm like, I'm not really good at this. How am I? <laughs> how am how I going to train you? Yeah, how am I going to train and and show them? Like I, sometimes I feel like you show me, please. You know, but we come from sometimes just places where we just feel inadequate, mm -hmm. and so oftentimes that'll just stifle any growth mm -hmm. and any movement that that needs to happen, and you know, a lot of times we can be uncomfortable. Like as it's talking about, you know, visit the people, remember those in prison is, is what it says. Well, prison is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It's a whole different way of like, were you here when our pastoral no, staff went to the that's prison? A, that's a story that I think you need <laughs> to tell because I've heard about it and I can't yeah. picture you in prison, but Pastor Joel was in prison. Folks. I was in prison. Thank goodness it was just on a tour <laughs> and not really, they really didn't put me in prison. But I've been to several different prisons just, you know, going through and, and, and visiting and hearing, you know, how they run things and all these, these different situations. But what, what I found was so interesting is that families will end up in prison. Like it's mm -hmm. just a way of life. And sometimes they end up in prison because it's the safest mm. than out on the streets, mm -hmm. which is crazy. Um, but it was uncomfortable for me because it was, it was outside my little, little box of what I knew. And it would take me going there regularly, listening, understanding their stories to get to a place where I would feel like I could even have an influence or, or be able to understand. And I was just in and out. Forgot about it. Not, not really right. forgetting about it, but I think that's oftentimes what we do too 
is we know there are situations. It's too uncomfortable, so we kind of forget put people to the it. side. Mm -hmm. We forget about them, or we're like someone else will come mm -hmm. and and help, and they will do the hospitality. Mm -hmm. They will be showing that that brotherly sisterly love. Someone else will go visit people in prison. Someone else has a better house to have people over right. to show hospitality, or they're better cooks, or you know. We just always have excuses. Wow. We do, don't we? I yeah. I remember just hearing that mm. story um, when our, our staff, this is before I came on board, our staff. When, when our staff was just so miserable without Aww. you. <laughs> without you, Miguel. <laughs> they weren't, but they would actually, so they would I just actually have to do tell really things. fun things. Yeah, she's. <laughs> see what she's doing friends she is driving my <laughs> ego up and that's that's part of the brotherly and the sisterly love but you guys went and and spent some time there and i remember uh before i came to this call i would uh go on occasion and it was really hard because i think at that point you go in and it's really easy to say well these people have nothing in common mm. with me yeah uh these people are the result of their own their poor choices and that might be the case sometimes but what you really said just struck me because in my experience visiting prisons there's there's families where it's like the grandfather and the and the son and the grandson they're all there and it's this generational yeah. thing because they want to belong to something and i think that sense of belonging is universal so if we listen hard enough, and if we listen with the heart of Jesus, I'm sure we're able to find some points of some touch points with other stories and with other people. And I think that's why Hebrews is so intentional in saying, if you want to love like a brother or a sister loves, and I love the way you put it, it's got to start by listening. Profound, I know. <laughs> Well, sometimes the <laughs> sometimes the best things are the most simple. Yeah. And we make bigger deals out of them and put them out of reach for ourselves and that's that's just so unfortunate. Mm. Because when you look around at the at least I can only speak from personal experience, it's the times that I actually take the time to hear people. People that drive me nuts, mm -hmm. that push my buttons, and I actually take the time with them to listen, I get a different vantage point of who they are. And sometimes it has completely changed how I feel about them, how I, you know, there may be still some differences, but I understand them more mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm better equipped to interact with them, to to love them i know how to maybe what makes them tick it's like in my office you know it has ministry of healing mm -hmm. one because this is my favorite thing so it's it's how christ won people over and and basically witness to them and the first thing is mingling mm -hmm. like we can all mingle yeah we can all mingle and when you when you're mingling you're listening at the same time and it just helps open that door to deeper relationships to deeper love to you know to so many things that this is is talking about yeah. this scripture i've seen that passage in your in your <laughs> office and i think it's it's so simple but it's so difficult to do it's simple without being simplistic because it says yeah. he spent time with them he mingled, mingled with them and there was all this like really easy it, it doesn't say he was amazing right. and he taught them like the deep secrets of the world but that would be hard for them. you huh because you're an introvert what do the it introverts is, do it is but you know mingle. but you know what maybe that i love that's why i love what you said at the beginning because i don't like to you you know this about me you know that there's nothing worse than to actually have to mingle and open and be right. vulnerable with people but you know what? It seems like Hebrews is telling me, you don't have to be vulnerable and open up. You just have to listen. Yeah. And I love to, like, if if somebody were to tell me, hey, there's no pressure, you don't have to right. say anything. 
You just have to be there. I think I, I can do that as an introvert. Right. And so I, I, that's what I love about that quote mm. that you have in your office, because he's saying, mm. it doesn't say Jesus opened the mysteries of the universe to them. It says Jesus mingled them. And then he learned about their needs because he listened. And won their confidence. He won their Mm -hmm. confidence. And then he called them. He called them to follow. So I have this question, though. We're talking about listening, which is really important. Is there anything that follows that? Like if we are listening, which is really important, are we called to more? Is that the first step Mm -hmm. or is that all we need to do? Ah, that's a great question. I think I think Ministry of Healing answers that question, right? You, like what we were just yeah, because yeah. you listen, mm-hmm. and hopefully, what you're listening to is actually as actually creating some changes in people's lives. You actually mm-hmm. changed the way I do ministry in Loma Linda. Um, you did. So here's let's here. not lie. No, no, no. Here's let's a, not lie here in front of people, Miguel. <laughs> here's a this moment. is where we need. No, here's a we moment. need to not <laughs> lie in front complete of complete confession. In front of the people, complete confession. <laughs> so when I came to Loma Linda, and I talked about this a little bit last week in the message, when I came to Loma Linda, I felt a lot of pressure mm. because I thought that this church demanded excellence from me. And um, that allowed me, or I think that pushed me into this false narrative. We're talking a lot about false narratives and assumptions. So I thought that what this church demanded was that I be perfect, so that I speak perfectly, that I'm poetic and eloquent and prepared, and that I have this manicured image. And you know, one of the things that, that I realized is I... I was there, but something was missing. Mm. And then I saw you start to do something. And are we sure we want to? Uh, yes, we want to share Are we still going to be friends? We are going to be friends because this is Sorry. true. Think, and think everybody this. knows this about you. Think about this. So you write sermons for Pastor Randy, but you don't actually <laughs> deliver those sermons. Uh, um, and you don't, I'm just the brain. You're just the brain. You're the, the brain you're, behind. You're the brain behind <laughs> the, the, per, the man. Um, <laughs> so you've, you've made it clear, I think, and anyone that spent some time talking to you knows that you have no interest in getting up front. That's not, you have no interest in that. And so I wondered, because I would see the way you connected with people, and I said, well, where is she getting all these influ- this influence for- from? And without you knowing, I kind of would follow and see. I, follow- I see Stalker? all my colleagues. I, yeah, I'm sorry. And I saw that you would wow. spend time just listening to people in the foyer, just listening and talking. And I said, this out of my comfort zone, but I'm going to do it. And for a few months, particularly after we came back from the pandemic, I made an intentional I have point. noticed. To just stand You're in the in front, foyer a lot now. To stand in front and just greet people. And, and I, when you say in the front, you mean the foyer, the foyer. not like the stage. Not the stage. DPI the just foyer. want people. The foyer so that people know. <laughs> yes. So I stand in the foyer yeah. and I, I shake people's hands and I talk to them. And yeah. they're not manicured conversations. They're not poetic. They're not deep theological insights. They're really simple. But meaningful. You know what somebody said to me last week? Uh, they said, I appreciate all you do, you know, the studies and the sermons and the lessons. I said, but something's changed with you. You're more authentic. <laughs> and that really touched me. Wow. To think that like the most huh. meaningful ministry mm-hmm. that we can do in this mega church that is full of professionals and uh, a who's who of Adventism and that the most meaningful thing we can do is just stand in a foyer and shake your hand and say, it's good to see you this Sabbath, or we've yeah. missed you, or how's your sick relative <clears throat> that we've been praying for yeah. them. That that is the most meaningful thing somebody would find in the ministry that mm. we do. That's incredible. And I think that answers the question, is listening the only thing that we do? No. Yeah. Listening is then followed by compassionate action. Action. Ooh, I like that. 
Ah, see? Compassionate action, That's... Mr. Profound. No, it's not. It's really simple. <laughs> it's really easy to do, yeah. right? Well, it's the connect. Because when you think about it, in a church service, you are not, you're connecting on a different level. Mm -hmm. You're connecting through words, through emotions, with the music and whatever. But you're not necessarily connecting intimately. Mm. And when you are engaging in conversation or even listening lends itself to some level of intimacy, mm. which sounds a little bit strange, but it's in that connection that um, you develop as a human being mm -hmm. and other people are able to develop and are able to heal mm. in some yeah. instances. I remember one time, and we're kind of going off here, but I remember one time I was in the foyer. And, you know, at our church, it's it's large. We have so many different services, so many different doors that you think someone may not be at church, but they just went in another entrance. Mm -hmm. You just never saw them. And sometimes you think they're visitors. <laughs> you're like, ah, where do you visit from? Welcome. We're so glad you're here. We've been going to this church for 20 years, and that is the most embarrassing oh, thing ever. Oh, it's awful. And then that's where you've just ruined everything, yeah. Yeah. and you should have been listening and not Way talking. to listen. Way to listen. <laughs> yeah. But this one individual, I was just impressed to talk to her and say, hi, how are you? I didn't recognize her at all. And she said, this is the first time in two years, oh. two years of coming to this church that someone has actually said something directly to me. Oof. I was horrified, Miguel. Yeah. I was horrified. I was like, why did you continue to come? Like, I didn't ask her that, mm -hmm. but in my head, I'm like, why would you continue coming? Because to me, that would put off the, the vibe of a church that doesn't care. Yeah. That doesn't absolutely. really love absolutely. you. But she continued coming and that was the opening of a connection with her. So then obviously when I would see her, I would talk to her and and um it really was eye opening to me. But it's hard because it's not like we do at least I don't do that purposefully. I just can't talk to everyone. Right. So it takes all of us being engaged in this type of thinking it can't just be one person and you can't think someone else will get it someone else will do it you have to respond and do and I think the closer that we are with with God the more plugged in we are with him and with his spirit with the the Holy Spirit he will open those doors of opportunity for us that we may not otherwise have been intentional mm. about or engage in. I think he places things in our minds and on our hearts to actually be able to live this out and it not just be words on paper. Yeah. Because this is all good. The Bible is wonderful. But I think God would be like, hey, I would rather you set that aside and eat these and internalize them and bring them out into actions and then rather than, you know, read this every day and it not transform who you are and, and how you live your life. That means that means nothing to God if we're not actively living it. That is, that'll preach, by the way. You don't like to preach, but should that I get up will, in the you pulpit? should, you should. That is a message I think that needs to be heard. Maybe I should have Randy write a sermon for me. You should. And, and then I will, we'll just switch roles. This message needs to be heard because we're like, just think about what you said. And I want to end with this and then I'll ask you to pray, but just think about what you said for a moment. So we say we're about growing disciples, right? Mm -hmm. And if you've gone on our website and if you've, watched us here or you've watched our services you know that we throw out that catchphrase we do a lot and mm -hmm. we want that to be the ethos of our church like mm -hmm. loma linda university church growing disciples and yet we are we are we're a community that has this really altruistic and i think biblical call to fulfill but we're also a community mm -hmm. where you can fall through the cracks and nobody will talk to you for two yeah. years <laughs> And that's not a really... That's and that not, wasn't during COVID, just because, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that, 
That's not a good job of right. growing disciples. And so I right. think what you're saying is mm -hmm. this invitation, not only for us as leaders to be aware of that, yeah. but for every single member who is called to ministry, we are all called to listen. We're all called right. to ministry. That discipleship is being intentional. Mm -hmm. about no exceptions. No, ex everybody. Everyone. Every single member in our church being intentional about finding people in the church that they can mentor, right. that they can equip, yes. that they can train. And you might Amen. be saying, how does that happen? And you just told us it starts with listening. That means everybody can do it. Every single person can do it. Can you imagine what church would be like if we all took it upon ourselves to do this? I, I mean, I, I can't. It would be phenomenal. It would be like the church in Acts. Hey, there you go. It'd be like the church in Acts. So, Joel, thank you so much. You've opened, I think, my eyes. You have opened our eyes. You've really invited us to, to consider this idea of brotherly and sisterly love from the perspective of disciple making, that you care enough about other people that you want to pour into their lives. That, I think, is it's a simple call to life but it's complicated to externalize, as you said. Will you uh, close us off by praying? I will, but thank you for letting me be a part of this experience today. I hope we, we treated you well. Well, yes, yes, you will get good ratings <laughs> when I leave. <laughs> but yes, I'd be happy to pray as we leave. Father God, what an honor it is to serve you. Because when I think of myself and all of the times that I fail miserably at what I know I should be doing and how I should be living my life. I am so grateful for a God who is full of grace mm. and love and forgiveness and who never says, oh, that's it. I'm writing you off. But a God who is always there walking beside me and helping me be a better person. Lord, may we as Christians live that out in our lives when there are individuals who just man just know the right buttons to push those tough people to love those difficult situations like prisons and all the things that we were reading about in hebrews lord may we be like you and have grace in abundance for others and may we listen and love deeply and compassionately. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, go out and make disciples by listening. We'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.